Chapter 30 A History of California, the Spanish Period. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 30 Spanish Californian Institutions. By far the most numerous element in Spanish California were the Indians. Within the settled area, their numbers were never very great, though outstripping that of their Spanish masters. In 1806, there were 20,355 Indians at the missions, the highest figure ever attained in the Spanish era. Under Mexico, there were 21,066 in 1824, which was the record year for the whole period of the Franciscan missions. Outside the missions, there were always very many more. As already set forth, there may have been about 133,000 in what is now the state as a whole, and 70,000 in or near the conquered area. The missions included only the Indians of given localities, though it is true that they were situated on the best lands and in the most populous centers. Even in the vicinity of the missions, there were some unconverted groups, however. Over the hills of the coast range, in the valleys of the Sacramento and San Joaquin, north of San Francisco Bay, and in the Sierra Nevadas of the south, there were untold thousands whom the mission system never reached. From the runaway mission Indians, who each year crossed the range, the nearer of them kept informed of the alien rule, and in the last two decades of the Spanish regime, they had the usually unpleasant experience of visits by military expeditions. Otherwise, except that they represented a potential danger, which, however, was not taken very seriously, they were as if in a world apart from the narrow strip of coast which was all there was of the Spanish California. Yet, because no appalling disaster ever happened, one must not forget that the possibility was always present. Two or three thousand Yumas had shown in 1781 what the Indians could do if only they would make the effort, and the San Diego conspiracy of a few years before had narrowly missed success. The Indians of the mission area alone could at any time have overwhelmed the paltry two to four hundred soldiers of the Spanish garrison if they had been willing to follow the example of their brethren of the Colorado. The presence of the Indians was as necessary, however, as it was dangerous, for they were the chief economic sustain of the province. Not only at the missions, but also in the settlements of the whites, the Indians performed most of the labor. The soldiers, indeed, were required to do some work, but the usual methods were to contract for a number of mission Indians, or else pick them up from the unconverted tribes through bargaining with the chiefs. The people of reason, gente de razón, or civilized element, who for convenience may be called whites, were in fact of varying shades of color. The officers and missionaries were for the most part of pure white blood, but the great majority of the rest were mestizos part white and part Indian. In the Los Angeles district, there were some mulattoes. The amount of what is commonly called blue blood was also distinctly limited. Not a few of the Spanish Californians were ex-convicts. Indeed, some of them were at the time under sentence, being required to live in Alta California as a penalty for their crimes. Some others were foundlings from the streets of Mexico. Unpromising material, as so many of them were, they yet fulfilled a great purpose in history, and the descendants from even the meanest of them have good cause to feel pride in their ancestry. 
the principal white element were the military composed at first of almost the entire adult population except for the missionaries in course of time there came to be a group of retired veterans at the presidios and ranches and a body of civilians in the pueblos who were indeed subject to call for military service but were not enrolled in the permanent garrison a few small traders and vagabond sailors drifted in especially in the second decade of the nineteenth century when foreigners began to come the following estimates have been made of the total white population in the spanish era in seventeen eighty six hundred in seventeen ninety nine hundred seventy eighteen hundred one thousand two hundred eighteen ten two thousand one hundred thirty and eighteen twenty three thousand two hundred seventy these figures when analyzed show an even smaller advance in human resources than at first sight they seem to represent the numbers for seventeen eighty were made up mainly of men the women and children of the seventeen seventy four rivera and seventeen seventy six anza expeditions and such children as had since been born in the province were the only others the figures for seventeen ninety include the settlers who escaped the yuma massacre of seventeen eighty one upon these three expeditions the human foundations of alta california were laid all accounts agree as to the extraordinary fecundity of the spanish californians though the death rate must also have been shockingly great at all events it would seem that the population of eighteen twenty could hardly have represented more than five hundred men or about the same number that were there some forty years before there were four types of settlements in which men of spanish blood were to be found missions presidios civilian towns or pueblos and ranches today one hears most of the missions in part because of the writings of the friars especially palu who left behind them ample records of their toil but more particularly due to the fact that the mission ruins are the most obvious most noteworthy and most famous tangible remains of the spanish era because the missions were also the principal constructive factor in the reduction of the indians to spanish rule granted that the military were in a negative way still more essential for the retention of the province they merit first place in any discussion of spanish california institutions both in theory and in practice the missions of alta california resembled almost exactly those established elsewhere in the americas by the spaniards the general description already given in chapters twelve and twenty eight is therefore applicable to them it may be noted that the indians of alta california were so backward that the absolute sway of the missionaries over them was if anything more pronounced than in many other mission fields as elsewhere the indians were not compelled to accept christianity but once in the mission system they could not leave it they were required to give up their savage type of life and made to work at agriculture stock raising and menial tasks during lasuain's presidency they began to be taught certain forms of rough manufacturing and carpentry in everything their time was planned for and not by them acts of disobedience were punished by whippings or imprisonment in the period of serra and lasuain when both missionary zeal and the peril of indian uprisings were greater the evidence would seem to indicate that the treatment was more kindly than afterward for example it was in later years that the practice became general for the missionaries to furnish indian labor for work outside the missions 
Even as early as 1786, La Perrue, the French navigator, compared the missions to the Negro slave plantations of his own countrymen in Santo Domingo. He did indeed, in all sincerity, praise the missionaries, but said that they were enslaving the Indians in this life to save them in the next. He himself saw men and women in stocks or in irons, and also spoke of whippings. The missions of Alta California were the richest institutions in the province. They and their visitas possessed the best lands and were almost entirely alone in cultivating the soil. Footnote. Best known of the visitas is Pala, often regarded mistakenly as having been one of the missions. In footnote. Their flocks were easily the largest, wherefore they were in the best position to carry on the hide and tallow trade, which was the principal economic support of the province after 1810. Following the impulse given during the rule of Father Lasuen, the missions attained to considerable importance in rude manufactures, being without other competitors in the field. The Indians worked up the blankets and coarse fabrics of which they themselves made use. They tanned hides and made shoes in certain parts of saddles. The year 1798 was marked by the first appearance of homemade soap, a mission product like the rest. Coarse pottery was made at the missions, and flour mills were operated. When foreign traders came seeking hides and tallow, or perhaps a store of grain, they got the largest quantities and best quality at the missions, and paid for them with cloths of superior texture, fine wines and liquors, and other civilized articles such as could not be made in Alta California. This trade was against the law of both government and church, but the statutes were almost, if not quite, a dead letter. Indeed, the trade was necessary to the existence of the province, for some of the foreign goods were essential to a decent standard of living. And besides, the silks, satins, and laces, to say nothing of the cognac and champagne, made life infinitely more delightful. In this connection, it may be mentioned that the Alta California friars did not hold to the provision of the law forbidding them to permit white men, other than friars in the military guard, to stop at the mission overnight. Guests were in fact received, and often most lavishly entertained. It is obvious from the foregoing that the missionaries of Alta California were something more than teachers of religion. The wide powers of their administration made them virtual owners and managers of a vast economic plant. They were farmers, cattlemen, manufacturers, traders, and in a sense bankers and innkeepers, as well as preachers. In various of these capacities, they were also great employers of labor. Footnote. The question as to what becomes of the funds which the missionaries receive is too much matter of controversy to permit of a categorical statement. It can hardly be doubted, however, that they were devoted to what, in the opinion of the missionaries, was most conducive to the accomplishments of the primary objects of the mission. The friars are reputed to have lived rather well themselves, and to have displayed a generous hospitality to guests, but few would object to their enjoyment of these somewhat mild compensations for an otherwise unpleasant lot. Assertions have been made that they sent their surplus funds to the general treasury of their order, thus diverting them from the Indians. These assertions have, however, been vigorously denied. In the footnote. Passing over the matter of the relations of the missionaries with other Spanish elements in the province, as already discussed in chapters 12 and 28, 
one may ask the question whether the missions were successful considered narrowly from the standpoint of their primary objects they were not indeed they were foredoomed to failure it is true that they did make christians of many indians but the feeble intellects of the natives were utterly unable to penetrate the deeper meanings of the new religion theirs was always a rote christianity and could not by any possibility have become more the friars also taught the indians a civilized mode of life but this too like the catholic faith did not and could not sink in in later years when the guiding hand of the missionary was withdrawn most of the indians either reverted to savagery or else reported to a drunken and bestial type of civilization it is perhaps true that the mission system did prolong the life of the indian tribes of the coast but even so the efforts in this direction were without permanent result it has been estimated that in all california today there are not more than some fifteen thousand indians and this includes the descendants of the far more numerous tribesmen who lived beyond the pale of the missions the work of the franciscans in alta california was humanitarian in laudable degree but its ultimate effect upon the indians was nil and yet if one may judge institutions by their contributions to history quite apart from the intentions which were the basis for their direction in their own day it is impossible to regard the missions as anything but a great success possibly its greatest historical service in alta california was the help it rendered in holding the province for the civilized world and more particularly for spain and as it proved the united states even the kindliness which lay at the root of the institution was not wasted it is the foundation upon which men of a later day have reared the structure of california history it is the cornerstone of california art literature and sentiment less romantic than the missions in contemplation the presidios were notwithstanding at least negatively the backbone of the province and the scene of happier associations than fell to the lot of the institutions over which the friars presided if the missionaries were an important agency in the scheme of spanish conquest the military were a sine qua non of the system without them any extension of the spanish realms was impossible in alta california they were few in number and inadequately equipped but they were able to check the thousands of indians in the province they were also the principal element in the prevention of a foreign occupation which would have been disastrous for the aspirations of the ultimate possessors of alta california some idea has already been given of the difficulties a foreign invader would have had in conquering this distant part of the world unless they should have come in force the mere presence of a garrison was however enough to prevent such an invasion not through fear of failure in the attack but through dislike of stirring up complications with spain which would have been the inevitable result thus the russians who might have conquered the province held back from so doing because of the friendly relations existing between their government and the court of madrid even the english who were desirous of gaining a foothold in alta california were not willing to provoke a war to secure their ends and on the several occasions when war occurred affairs in the north pacific were of minor import since england found herself confronted at her very doors not only by spain but also by france and other enemies reverting again to the services of the military within the province they were an essential part of the missions themselves not a mission was founded without soldiers 
and none existed without them. Usually a corporal and five or six soldiers were assigned to each mission to protect the friars from their charges and to render other services. The presidios were the social and political centers of Alta California. In addition to the soldiers of the garrison, their families were also present. Later, others came, and veritable towns sprang up. Recognizing this, the Spanish authorities established a formal pueblo or town government for the presidial establishments by a law of the year 1791. This went into effect in 1794. Monterrey, as the capital and residence of the governor, was the most important presidial town. It was the principal resort of provincial society, the place to which the rancher made his way and to which foreign navigators and traders paid their visits, though the latter indeed were well acquainted with the whole coast, especially with San Francisco. Life at the Presidios was characterized, first of all, by attention to military affairs, but there was a much more agreeable side. Quote, Life was one continuous round of hospitality and social amenities, tempered with vigorous outdoor sport. There were no hotels in California. Every door was open, and food, lodging, and a fresh horse, and money even, were free to the guest, whether friend or stranger. No white man had to concern himself greatly with work, and even school books were a thing apart. Music, games, dancing, and sprightly conversation, these were the occupations of the time. These constituted education. Also, men and women were much in the open. All were expert horsemen, could throw a lasso and shoot unerringly, even the women, accomplishments which fitted their type of life and made hunting a general pastime. When foreign ships came, there were balls and the gayest of festivals, nor were these visits the only occasion for that type of entertainment. This paragraph, though written with respect to the province in general, is particularly applicable to the presidial towns. There were, however, prominent vices. The Californians shared in the almost universal Hispanic-American proclivity for gambling. They drank heavily of very nearly raw liquor, as well as of fine wines when they could get them. And they did not resist the temptations afforded by the proximity of the women of a subject race. On the other hand, there was a plenitude of romantic love-making among themselves, in all earnest this, followed usually by an early marriage and the rearing of a large family. Economically, the presidios depended for many years on the Sambla ships. The need for supplies of food through this medium grew less and less until it disappeared, but goods and effects were always required. With the outbreak of the Spanish-American Wars of Independence in 1810, the supply ships ceased to come for a number of years and never again resumed a regular traffic. Then it was that the missions enabled the presidios to get the things which formerly had been provided by the government. Foreign vessels supplied the goods, which were paid for with mission products. The presidial commanders gave drafts on the Spanish treasury to the missionaries, and the drafts were never honored. Indian slavery, stock raising, agriculture, and illicit trade existed at the presidios, but much less in proportion than in the other types of settlement. Though commerce with foreign ships was, to a great extent, carried on at certain presidial posts under the eyes of the soldiery. In fine, the presidios were the principal centers in a world apart, a happy utopia from about 1782 to 1810. Even in those years, many things were always lacking. The garrison at San Francisco once had to borrow powder from a Russian ship 
in order that it might fire a salute. After 1810, however, the misery of the soldiers and the families must have outweighed the advantages of their comparative freedom from care. For ten years they received no pay, and their lot was wretched indeed. Throughout the Spanish period, there was some communication with New Spain by way of the peninsula of Baja California, but this route was suitable only for carrying mail and for the infrequent comings of individual settlers. The Sambla ships and foreign vessels remained the principal connecting links with the outside world. Far less important than either Mission or Presidio were the pueblos, or civilian towns. There were three of them, San Jose and Los Angeles, founded by Governor Neve, respectively, in 1771 and 1781, and Forte, founded by Governor Boraca in 1797. The last named was of such scant importance that its identity was eventually lost in that of the mission, Santa Cruz, the name of which has been taken for the city now covering the sites of the former mission in Puebla. The inhabitants were of poorer quality than those of the presidial towns, and were of mongrel racial types. The original settlers of Los Angeles, for example, had far more Indian and Negro blood than white, though all were part Spanish. Not one of them could read or write. By all accounts, they were a dissolute, immoral, lazy, gambling lot. Between 1792 and 1795, the pueblos received an increase in population through the sending of a number of artisans from Mexico. These artisans were also criminals. Present-day Californians need not feel in the least surprised or shocked by these details. No pioneer country in real life is ever very lovely, especially if the inhabitants are unwilling settlers. Nor should the modest character of certain of the Spanish Californians lessen one's pride in the greatness of their services. The case of Australia is in many respects a parallel. Some of the most capable men in Australia today are said to be descendants of criminals who were members of the penal colony at Botany Bay about a century ago. Many of the English settlers of the West Indies and what are now the southern states of this country were quite as poor timber as the Spanish Californians. In the early years following their establishment, the pueblos were maintained at state expense, and the settlers even received the pay and rations of soldiers. Later, they were required to subsist by their own efforts through the products of their stock-raising and agriculture. In times of need, they were to serve as militia. As usually happens in the healthful atmosphere of the frontier, there gradually evolved the decent element, and this was perhaps the first time that they or their families had had an opportunity. They were always looked down upon, however, by the upper-class society of Monterey and the other presidial towns. It was not until 1817 that the first beam of educational light penetrated the murky depths of Pueblo ignorance. In that year, a school was opened in Los Angeles. In the following year, San Jose's first school was established. Life in general resembled that of the presidial towns, but was on a much lower social plane. Least important of the types of settlements in Spanish days were the private ranches, but they should not be left out in any account of the pre-American beginnings of the Golden State. Of the some 600 so-called Spanish land grants, the overwhelming majority dated from the Mexican era. The Spanish government was unfavorable to the institution, 
preferring that the settlers should live in communities the better to ensure defense and the preservation of order some twenty such grants were made in the spanish period however usually to retired presidial officers the law provided that grants were to be not more than three square leagues about twelve square miles and they were not to infringe upon the lands of missions pueblos or indian towns one of the most famous of these grants was that given to luis peralta in eighteen twenty little did the spanish soldier who received it realize how his estates would appear at the end of a century Today there are hundreds of thousands of people upon them for the thriving cities of alameda oakland and berkeley have been carved out of the old peralta holdings on them too are the grounds of one of the largest educational plants in the united states the university of california the laws were not always carried out to the letter in awarding grants especially those affecting boundaries vast as were their estates the ranchers wanted more in the mexican period they were indeed given larger areas receiving as much as eleven square leagues about thirty-eight square miles what they wanted most of all was the particularly good land in the control of the missionaries naturally the missionaries resented the ranchers encroachments and there was a never-ending quarrel between them on his ranch the owner was like a little king with many indian dependents the sole economic basis of the ranch was stock of agriculture there was none after eighteen twenty eight when the mexican government granted freedom of trade the ranchers became wealthy from their sales of hides and tallow to the foreign ships on the rare occasions when the visitors or wayfarers stopped at a ranch the owner entertained bountifully his home and everything in it were at the disposal of his guests it was even the custom to leave money in the guest chamber which the visitor was expected to take if he needed it thus delicately obviating the necessity of a verbal request for help when the guest left he could count on receiving a horse to carry him along his way except for occasional trips to monterey or some other town this was all that there was of social amenities in the life of the rancher the political system of alta california was that of an absolutism the fundamental documents were the already discussed echeveste reglamento of seventeen seventy three the instructions to rivera seventeen seventy three and neve seventeen seventy six and especially the neve reglamento of seventeen seventy nine which ruled in the province for more than forty years the governor was the military and political head uniting all the functions of government in his own person executive legislative and judicial according to the changes of jurisdiction he was subject either to the viceroy or the commandant-general in military and political affairs but to the audiencia of guadalajara in judicial matters owing to the greatness in distance and time separating him from the viceroyalty he was in fact a veritable dictator a strong viceroy like bucareli could impose his will upon him but otherwise there was very slight control by the authorities in new spain though their right to it was absolute subject to the governor the captains of the presidios exercised in their own district the same type of authority that the governor did in the province with the reservation of a right of appeal to the governor in certain cases with a like appeal to the governor the corporals at the missions had authority over their men and criminal jurisdiction over the indians 
they frequently clashed with the missionaries as to the dividing line where the power of the corporal ceased and that of the missionaries began the pueblos in theory had a measure of independence which they did not possess in fact just as the medieval spanish kings established their authority in towns throughout their agents the corregadores so did the governors set up theirs in alta california by placing comisionados commissioners of their own appointment in the pueblos they were supposed to represent the governor and to administer justice in practice their word was law save only in the case of an appeal to the governor with the consent of the comisionado or at least in such matters as he did not oppose certain local officials might act these were the alcalde a kind of mayor and petty justice combined though in spanish california the comisionado more often exercised the judicial power and the regidores or members of the town council the missionaries had the power of the father of a family over the indians at the mission amounting to economic ownership of the indians and extensive civil authority exercised with the aid of indian alcaldes whom they virtually selected though in theory the indians themselves elected them the governor had superior rights in criminal jurisdiction military affairs and matters of general policy but otherwise was not supposed to intervene within the sphere of his powers the father president was absolute subject however to the college of san fernando in mexico the individual missionaries had a similar power subject to their father president at their missions so much has already been said of the social and economic factors in the life of alta california that a bare summary will suffice here with respect to the former it should be pointed out that there was never anything approaching a democratic dead level in the society of the province such as was the case in the western territories of the united states there were very marked social differences based on rank usually military and blood and very distinctly there was a spanish californian aristocracy most or all of whose members lived in the presidial towns or on the ranches as affecting the blood of the inhabitants it is to be noted that alta california became a veritable haven for foreign white sailors who came for short intervals or toward the end of the spanish period but more particularly in later years to reside permanently in the province in part due to their advent the indian and negro blood of the mestizos tended gradually to disappear the economic basis of alta california was for many years that of government aid a little help from baja california was received at the outset afterwards there was nothing from that quarter the short period in which the anza route was used enabled the province to procure indispensable assistance and down to eighteen ten the san blas ships came regularly stock raising and agriculture at the missions early began to help in the problem of subsistence later the same occupations developed at the pueblos though in less degree than at the missions and a stock-raising industry came into being at the ranches the sale of hides and tallow and food supplies to foreign ships was the foundation for a beginning of commerce which made up for the eventual failure of the san blas boats through these foreign vessels alta california first came in contact with luxuries as well as with other more essential articles of manufacture the intellectual attainments of the spanish californians do not call for protracted description 
education when it existed at all was made up of little more than instruction in the catechism and reading and writing a large proportion of the spanish-blooded population was wholly unlettered there were no regular schools by fits and starts the various settlements would hire or dispense with a teacher who assuredly could not have pretended to be a master at his trade the californians had little idea of events or conditions in the world outside the united states was habitually referred to as boston since the american vessels were almost invariably boston ships in the art of conversation dancing and the playing of simple musical instruments especially the guitar they were indeed accomplished these things they drank in with their mother's milk as part of their heritage from spain this then was that out of the world alta california unconscious of its destiny and of the really important part it was playing these then were the principal institutions in which morse stevens has called quote, that spanish background against which is now reared one of the proudest and most self-conscious states of the united states of america End quote. End of chapter thirty